praise the Lord for technology that works. Um, in India, when the power goes out, everything goes out. So technology isn't always helpful in those moments. We are in a series, Encouragement for Halfway, and uh, I've uh, had the chance to just get feedback around that encouragement. And this morning uh, was encouraging. I hope you were encouraged this morning during worship and around the communion table. And I want to continue that encouragement for halfway. Um, this is uh, a photo taken from Infal in India, where we were ministering. Uh, the ministry was uh, just around about two and just over two weeks. Um, we would speak anywhere from the speaking sort of time slots so were anywhere from eight till eight p.m. about two thirds of the time, and the rest of the time was eight till four. Eight till four was great. Um, so they they love the word of God. It's it's uh, it's um, they're hungry for the word, and it's a beautiful environment to speak into when people are hungry for the word of God. Uh, my dad bought the 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 base a bike. So this is the bike that you kind of can see there, just a bicycle. Um, they don't have a bicycle. Uh, the water that they use comes from the ground, and it's heavily iron contaminated. They have to filter it significantly to make it even drinkable. So they don't, definitely don't have a bike. So Dad thought, well, they should have a bike. So Dad bought him a bike, and the bike came with a basket, and it came with a few other tools, but it came with a pump. And the boys ran to the bike, and Dad, I could just see his face, he just imagined them you know, getting on the bike and riding it. You know what they did? They grabbed the pump and pumped their soccer ball. They didn't even touch the bike. They didn't even look at the bike. They got the pump. They pumped the soccer ball. They found another soccer ball and pumped that up. And they found another one that was flat and pumped that up. The bike didn't even get touched or ridden. And I looked at Dad and I, I just cacked myself laughing. Um, I didn't let him see that. But um, yeah, I just thought that was funny. Amazing, amazing students in a living program learning about the Word of God and learning to trust God and to be stretched so that they can be used by the Master for all sorts of things, whether it's church planning or missions work or whatever the Lord has for them. Uh, just a beautiful time. Uh, also in India, uh, we travelled often in cars or taxis or um, autos or tricycles. I even got down onto a rickshaw, which was totally cool. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm not going to tell the story today, but he got lost in Kolkata, which was great. It's nothing more exciting afterwards being lost. In the moment, it's not so cool. And I did draft emails to mum to say, I'm sorry, I killed your husband. Um, but anyway, we found him, so that's good. So uh, in India, um, often in the cars, you see kind of charms, idols. You see, you see these depictions. And the idea is that there is a, a, a trust or a hope that while you're driving in your car, you'll have a safe journey. Who here wants a safe journey? We all want a safe journey, don't we? So, so they, they, they put these idols in their, in their car and it reminds them of where their safety comes from, where their blessing and their care comes from. It, it's, it prompts them to be thankful and to be hopeful in their gods. And it's, it's in so many cars. It's also in cars that on the front of the the car or truck, it might have Jesus saves, but on the inside of it, it's loaded with these sorts of trinkets and idols and, and uh, images that try and, I don't know, maybe just 
cause an awareness or, 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 or cause attention, cause, cause you to be reminded about who's really taking care of you. It's not just me, but it's my gods that are taking care of me. In fact, you might argue that, that they are having hope, having some sort of hope in some of the promises in the writings that they believe in. Can anyone relate to this? Do you have hope in the promises of some writings that you're aware of? Do you have hope in the promise maker, the one who, who spoke those promises? Uh, we went to the museum, uh, the Indian Museum in Kolkata, and I was fascinated by these idols. I've said it before, I think, but I've never really kind of seen real sort of idols. And this huge, beautiful room was full of these amazing carvings and idols. Several carvings that really, like, had degraded a fair bit and were a bit chipped and worn down. This was a man-lion form of Vishnu, 11th century from West Bengal, kind of the area that we were in. And, and then there was this one of, uh, of, uh, of another... God and a newborn son in the, from the 11th century in West Bengal. Some of the gods and depictions of, of their idols are quite raunchy, yet it's an incredibly conservative society. I found that fascinating. Um, I, I don't know why. Very conservative, yet the gods were... I mean, can you put some clothes on gods? That was kind of what I wanted to do. Um, these were stone pictures and, and I, I, I kind of thought in my western head from Australia and you know I'm only interested in how expensive the leg of lamb is in coals to try and understand how this idol thing works is was just hard so I just looked into it and here's what they say idols are not idol fancies of sculptors but shining channels through which the heart of the devotee is attracted to and flows towards God so these idols are to attract us, our, 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 our hearts, the person's heart, supposed to attract us towards God. They go on and say, though the image is worshipped, the devotee feels the presence of the Lord in it and pours out his devotion unto it. Gee, it sounds churchy, doesn't it? The picture comes to life, the idol speaks. It will answer your questions and solve your problems. The God in you has the power to awaken the latent divinity in the idol. Wow. And as I was walking through these rooms and looking at these pictures, one part of me was quite dismissive because we are so more sophisticated here, aren't we? But the other side of me was quite um, challenged because we kind of have our own sets of idols, don't we? You see, it's not just about the golden calves and it's not just about the stone images that maybe matter to us, that affect us so much. But when we think of idols, they're actually, they're actually here everywhere in, in Australia. We, we have idols in different forms, don't we? What, what are our idols? Idolatry. They immediately think of people bowing down to statues. However... Idolatry can be much more than that. That ancient concept has never been more relevant because idolatry does happen here. It's not only something you do physically bowing down to statues. It's also a matter of the heart. An idol is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, or identity. So idols are not bad things. 
their really good things turn into ultimate things. Anything can be an idol. So the obvious idols are money, sex, and power. Many of us understand that these idols in our culture are wreaking havoc. So there's too much emphasis on possessions and money, too much emphasis on physical beauty. But if anything can be an idol, then dedication to family can be a problem. You can make an idol out of your family, out of your children, out of your spouse. You can make an idol out of your commitment to your religion. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. If you can get anything written by Tim Keller, it'll bless you heaps. He's a great author. It's not just golden calves anymore. It's not just statues in cars. It's, it's not just what I saw in a museum. These, these idols are everywhere. The spirit behind the idol is alive and well. And we face it in our everyday. But thinking about these stones, thinking about these these, these idols and, and carvings and images, but my attention was drawn actually towards what the Bible spoke about, memorial stones. It says that in the book of Joshua, he was asked to grab 12 stones and, and place them, place them in a certain place. And so what I want us to explore briefly this morning is the importance of these memorial stones. We can talk a lot about idolatry, we can talk a lot about idols, we can talk about a lot about other religions. I've, I've learned a lot through this trip about that. But what I want to talk about today is what does God say for us to do? What, 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 is, what, what does it mean for us to have memorial stones in our life? What are the promises that are represented by these memorial stones? Now, that's not actually the stones that Joshua laid down. That's just someone getting a photo. But maybe that's what they look like. In Joshua chapter 3, we're going to read from, in about 1500 BC, there was a, a river there which was called the Jordan River. And Joshua and the, the Israelites had to cross from one side of the Jordan to the other to enter into the fullness of the promised land. 
to begin to conquer the land that was promised to them. And so I want to read some of the verses from Joshua chapter 3. And the first verse that I want us to look at is verse 8. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River and take a few steps into the river, stop there. So instruction is coming from God to Joshua and the Israelites about what to do, about how to cross a river. Have you ever asked God how to cross a river before? Uh, maybe, in the, maybe in the territory there might be some tricky rivers to, to cross, but I, I don't think I've ever said, Lord, how should we cross this Torrens Creek? Yes, well, that might be true too in flood time, but I've never really asked the Lord that. I've never really asked, just cross a river, use the bridge. Anyone else with me? Who else here uses a bridge to cross a river? Yeah, a few of you don't. You must use kayaks. Good on you. Good on you. And then, interestingly, verse 13 says this, As soon as their feet, the priests, touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. A most unusual process to cross a river. It goes on. Verse 14 says, So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Verse 15 says, uh, It was harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. In other words, it's just not a little trickle torrents. It is chock-a-block. The river is so full of water that it's burst its banks, and it's really hard to even see where a good point to cross would, would be. But then verse 15 goes on and says, But soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edges, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. Now, a town called Adam, that's a great sermon, which I don't have any time for today, so we're going to skip that because we want to finish by 12.30. So, so this, this, this passage of Scripture is explaining that God wants the people to cross the river in a certain way. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, one of the very special uh, uh, relics, one of the very special alive, one of the very real aspects of the presence of God. They want to, they, they want to carry that across the river and the whole nation of Israel cross this river so they can take the promised land. And so God says, as soon as the feet come to the edge, something's going to happen. Now, I just wonder if God said something like that to you. How would you feel? Because my, my view, I think, is that we are too cool for miracles these days. We, we are too far gone for miracles. We, we, are, we, are, we are too beyond what God can do. Because we can do it, most of it ourselves. Do you agree? And if I can't do it, my credit card can do it. And if my credit card can't do it, I can just go put on a sad story to my mum and, and she'll make it happen. I mean, can you imagine as a, as a people group being told that as soon as the foot comes to the edge, the water's going to stop, it's flooding, okay? There is water everywhere, it's flooding. And then you're going to walk across on dry ground. Now, straight away, what should flash back into the memory of these people? What are we aware of from our understanding of Bible? What, what should flash back? Yeah, that something similar has happened before. 
Something similar has happened before. It's also interesting that probably about this time where they were crossing the river, the Bible talks about this place called Gilgal, they would have been about roughly halfway through their journey, trekking all the way from Egypt, taking the tourist route. They wanted to, you know, go by the coast, the Great Ocean Road, they called it back then too. And they headed up around this side and they needed to cross the river. They're about halfway through. I reckon after that amount of walking, my feet would be a bit sore. Does anyone else, when you see the amount of, amount of kilometres that they would have had to have walked, does that interest anybody here? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm in trouble. They're about halfway and they needed encouragement. And so the form of encouragement that they receive is to be reminded how faithful God is. That God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so God gives them this, this memory, this opportunity for God's power to be at work. And there's lots of theories about what happened and why it happened and that can be explored in your own time. But what did happen was the water was backed up and the children of Israel crossed on dry ground. But it took a step of faith. You see, they had to actually approach the river and come to the edge. It took a step of faith. It was a a choice and a decision which the people had to make. They had to come to the edge of the river. They had to trust that what God said was actually true. And they had to actually do some action. And it was in the moment of joining that decision of making a choice to go, well, God said it, so it must be a promise. So I'm going to stand at the edge and just see what happens. It took a step of faith. It took a step of faith for this action to really take its place. And so at about halfway, after they've crossed, God speaks about this idea of memorial stones. In verse 18 of chapter 4, it says, As soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, The water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. Once the job had been done, once people had passed over, everything just went back to to normal. Everything returned as it was. In verse 20, it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Why would we do that? I love the Bible. It says, well, in the future your children will ask... What do these stones mean? And verse 23 says, For the Lord your God dried up this river right before your eyes and has kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. And he did this, why? So that all nations of the earth might know the Lord's hand is powerful And so that you might worship, or your Bible might have fear, you might fear the Lord forever. You might worship the Lord forever. So something of the promises of God, something of His Word, and something of His faithfulness was being looked at, was being expressed, was was being shown, was being taught here. Hearing the promises of God caused faith. Something of the Word of God caused faith in the hearts of these people to take that step, to move forward, to move ahead. These memorial stones, therefore, would remind generations about what? That steps of faith testify to our community about the glory of God. 
Steps of faith testify to our community. That's us here. That's, that's our family. That's, that's us. Testify to us about the glory of God. And two, that steps of faith focus our worship on God and not on modern idols. And if that's the key point of what I want to say, that's it right there. You see, when we're taking steps of faith, active steps of faith in our everyday, I want to say to you that we have far less time to be attracted to other idols. We have far less opportunity to find our time being sapped up by other idols. At the end of the day, this life is going to end and you will stand before God and what is he going to take account of in your life? Is he going to account for your bank account? Is he going to account for your education? Is he going to account for what you have done? What is he going to account for from you in this life? Thank you, Judith. In this life, what is he going to account for? You see, I wonder if God's going to account for the steps of faith that we took. And yet our current culture robs us of steps of faith in our everyday. It robs us. We are robbed of steps of faith. The students here are singing a song. They love to sing. They love to sing. And one of the songs that they love to sing is an old hymn. And I'm sure some of you will know this. But the hymn says words like this, Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, By the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. You know, it's hard to make things rhyme. You've got to admire these writers. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. My Saviour. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Now, they sung that really nicely. I only spoke it out. It's an old hymn. Has anyone heard of that hymn? Did you have the tune in your mind as I said, yeah, yeah. That'll stay with you for the rest of the, of the day. My work here is done. A step of faith, standing on the promises of God, a step of faith, going to the water's edge, a step of faith upon the promises of God is what we desperately need in our lives here in Australia and in our culture here in Australia. We desperately need active, intentional steps of faith. What steps of faith did you take this week? What steps of faith did you take yesterday? What steps of faith? Now, steps of faith don't have to be literally moving around. I am absolutely convinced that dear Claire Darrington took steps of faith in her prayer as she prayed. Steps of faith is beyond the physical. It's seeing what is in the unseen. It's believing for what is not there. They are steps of faith. What steps of faith have you taken over the last month? What steps of faith are you taking this coming month? It's the 30th of June. For all the accountants out there, it's the end of financial year. This means work time. So what about the next financial year? What steps of faith are you taking? You see, my fear is, and it was really compounded by this trip, my fear is is that our faith is only exercised in matters of crisis. Is that a reasonable thing to say? That really only in matters of crisis do we exercise our faith. What is your crisis? Then I'll exercise my faith. Is there a crisis around you? Then we exercise our faith. 
It's almost like our exercising of faith has become so reactionary because God has been squeezed out of our life just to the bare minimum that really it just becomes a response to the next crisis in our life or those around about us. Isn't this the story of Israel? Isn't this the story that we understand and read as we look at the progression of Israel from Joshua through to Judges? Wasn't there a level of comfort and a level of, of, of not moving anywhere, a, le- a level of a lack of steps of faith in the everyday life of Israel? They lost something from when they hit the water's edge and the water backed up. Something was lost that by the time the end of Judges is read, Everyone was just doing what they saw was right in their own eyes. Somehow there was this spiral downwards. Where was God in Judges? How can we take steps of faith more than just in crises? More than just in those moments where we cry to God because it's actually now really too hard for us. More than just everyday idols. What are our everyday memorial stones? Well, we're living stones, aren't we? We're living stones that are being built into this spiritual temple, are we not? We're we're holy priests through Jesus Christ offering spiritual sacrifices that please God. Who loves that passage of Scripture? Okay, for those who put your hand up, tell me what it actually means for you in your everyday Gee, we're great at saying scriptures like this. I love this scripture. I really do. But what does that mean for my every day? Or am I only a spiritual brick on a Sunday? Or am I only a spiritual brick in a crisis? What does it mean? Does this simply mean salvation and that's it? I'm saved. I'm a spiritual brick. I'm added to the rest of the spiritual bricks here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a very good spiritual brick. Now, some of you said that with a little bit more intention there than what was intended. You had an opportunity to show kindness, and I'm not so sure you did. I'm glad my wife isn't here. There's a really precious verse at the end of Paul's life. Paul is an absolute crazy guy. So many people love Paul. They love quoting Paul. They love talking about Paul. They love, they love all those things about Paul. But I just wish that they would talk as they would live like Paul as much as they talked about Paul there's this beautiful verse at the end of his life as his life has come to an end he he kind of describes this life he kind of describes what it means to be a living stone he he describes what it means to be a sacrificial uh, 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 vessel for God and this comes from 2 Timothy 4 6 As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. What do we do with a verse like that? What what do we do with that? Oh, that's, that's Paul. Well, then rip out most of the New Testament and don't look at it or read it or consider it. I mean, what do we do with a verse like that? Some of these people we saw in India are so devoted to their gods. They are so devoted, incredibly devoted. I visited several huge temples, which I will try not to go in right now because I want to finish early today. And it's just the devotion is just, there's something really beautiful about it. 
something so attractive about it. It's something so, so wrong and so missing the mark. What do you do with a verse like this? Well, today I'm, I want to encourage you. I don't want to heap upon problems and issues. I want this, this to be a, a halfway moment of encouragement. I want this to be a halfway moment where, where we intentionally take faith steps in our everyday, where we actually stand upon the promises of God in our everyday. You see, the Christian life should have some everyday faith steps. Because here's the thing, if you're living as a witness in this culture, if you're living reaching people or have a heart to reach people, you will need faith. But if you do not give people a thought, if you do not live in a way where you're following him and you're seeking after, if you don't live like that, then what do you need faith for? What do you need faith for? And in there lies our crisis, where only the crisis draws faith from us. So how can this be encouraging for us? Well, I wonder if we might live like Paul lived. I wonder if we might pour our life out through faith steps every day. I wonder if you might wake up in the morning, Monday morning, at 4am when you all wake up, Lord, what is my faith step today? What is my faith step? Lord, what is my faith step this week? I wonder if, I wonder if we might do that. And the only way we can really do that is to stand on the promises of God. You see, that's what the people of Israel did. They heard the word of God, they heard his promise, and they, they got up and they stepped out. And it was in the stepping out, it was in trusting the promise of God and the stepping out that the miracle occurred. How can we step out on Monday morning? How can we step out at 5pm today? How can we pour our life out upon the promises of God? Maybe there's an issue of healing in your body or an issue of healing in someone dear to you. How can you take a step of faith and believe for that healing? What are the promises of God about healing that you can stand on and take a step of faith in? Because the halfway mark, we get a bit tired, don't we? We just get used to it. It just gets a bit ho-hum. It just gets a bit, you know, normal. And so maybe this is just normal. I wonder if we might stand on the promises of God afresh again. I wonder if we might take a step of faith afresh again in our everyday life. But maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's, maybe it's trusting in the Lord that, that he would use you to be witnesses, to witness about the life of Jesus. You might already say, well, I've, I think I am, Ben. Well, 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 well maybe, maybe there's a chance for you to say, Lord, help me witness more. Lord, bring someone else across my path. Lord, let me be useful in your kingdom. Lord, I want my life to count. Lord, I want to be sent to make a difference in our world. I don't want to live for myself. Maybe it's a chance to be witnesses 
to those around about us. Maybe it's a cry in our heart where we really sense a lukewarmness in us. We, we really have. We, we just know it. We know that we've become lukewarm. It's not that we don't read our Bible. It's not that we don't pray. It's just that we've lost our fire and our edge. We've lost our passion for the lost. We've lost that moment where we enter into worship and we're so much in the presence of God that, that we, we just forgot. We, we're just lukewarm. And you know it. You know it. Maybe a step of faith for you today is to, is to step out from that lukewarmness, is to re-pledge your life for the sake of the kingdom first, in all things. Maybe that's your faith step today. Maybe that's the promises of God, which you need to search out afresh. Say, what does God say about me? I'm in this job, in this particular time frame, doing these things. How does that line up with the word of God? What am I doing with my life? Because right now I'm just feeling a bit lukewarm. Maybe you're holding on for somebody to return to God. Maybe it's a family member or a friend. I have many dear friends who I did lots of ministry stuff with when I was younger, but now they're not even with the Lord. I am just praying and begging for them to return like the prodigal son, like the father who runs as soon as you just get a glimpse of them, run towards them. Is, 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 that, is that in your heart? What are the promises of God that you can stand on, that you can believe for, so that people can return? Elizabeth, would you just come play, please? Or maybe it's a call to prayer. Maybe you know your prayer life isn't what it used to be. Maybe you just have a sense that you used to pray lots, but now you don't pray so much. Or, or your prayer life has become a little bit stagnant and repetitive and, and just process. Maybe you're aware that there's this, there's this desire in you that you know that God's called you to pray. That maybe it's a step of faith for you to come to the water's edge again and to stand on the promises of God. And as you pray, you pray the promises of God into situations that you become aware of. I don't, I don't know. But I want to encourage you that at the halfway mark, it's not time to stop. At the halfway point, it's not time to just go cruisy and easy. You never retire from discipleship. You never stop serving Him. There is no end point until that time when you're before Him. And in that time when you're before Him, mate, I can't wait to be a doorkeeper in that house. I can't wait. Lisa and I are going to be on the door at heaven. We're going to be the doorkeepers. It's going to be the best. But until that time, there is no retirement. There is no ceasing. Maybe it's strength. Maybe you need strength for your everyday. Maybe you've just entered into living in your own strength and not even asking God anymore for His strength. What are the promises of God for you that you can stand on? How can you come to the edge and take a step of faith and say, Lord, I don't feel strong, but I'm gonna, I know I need to do this and I'm going to step into your strength. Maybe it's perseverance. You're just exhausted mentally and emotionally. You're just, you're just at your wit's end. You're on autopilot. Do you know anybody who's just on auto, just going through it because there's nothing left? Like a marathon runner at the very end, just almost on auto.
promises of God for you. Maybe we could pray a prayer like what Paul said, help me to pour out my life anew as an offering to God. Help me. Would you dare to pray that prayer? Would you dare? Would you have the audacity to pray that prayer with honesty and integrity? You might think that you've got it all covered, but but I think in God there's always just something more and something new to discover. God's always doing new things. He says, forget the past. Something new is happening now. What's the new thing for you to happen? Would you dare to pray that prayer? Would you dare to take a step of faith? Would you take a step of faith with me that people will come to Christ and be planted in this church? Would you take a step of faith with me where we go into the community and we do our best to make a difference and witness for the sake of Christ? Would you take a step of faith with me when someone new comes into this church? They don't just feel my love, but they feel something of the love of God. And it is so compelling and so overwhelming that they find themselves planted. Would you dare to take a step of faith where maybe there's a church plant that comes out of this church again? That maybe we send a missionary overseas? Would anyone dare to take that step of faith? We're going to close. And what I want us to do is to just have five minutes to pray for one another. Is that okay? I just want you to find someone. If the person sitting next to you, that's okay. But I want you to find someone and sit next to them and pray for them. You don't have to ask them what it is. If you want to say, you can say. But simply pray for another and, and, and pray, Lord, this week, help my brother. Lord, this week, help my sister to take that step of faith. Don't let this week just be another week. Let this July, this new month, be something new. Is that okay? So whilst Elizabeth prays, would you pray for one another, please? Just take five minutes. Those who aren't so mobile, it would be good if you could go to them. You know who they are. For those who can move, please move.